Welcome to the Heart Frequency Podcast by Hurricane and a Feather. This is your host, Haley J. I'm a singer and a songwriter with a passion for spirituality and wellness. And on this podcast, we will dive into topics that resonate with the healing world. Let's tune in. Hello, hello. I'm here today with my good friend, Jason Frey. Jay and I grew up together. We went to the same middle school and high school, and we became great friends in high school. And to give you a little bit of Jason's background, he is a UCLA grad who has worked in digital media. He's got roots in sports writing and screenwriting. He's a very talented guy, very well-spoken, and I'm really excited to have him here today. So welcome, Jay. That was the nicest uh, intro I've ever had, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So to start us off, let me ask you, what's a book you're reading or listening to? Uh, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. So on Spotify, it has a whole uh, the whole chapters of everything of his book in an audio form. So yeah, I've been uh, a big fan of his for a long time. You know, R.I.P. Tony. It's cool to kind of listen to the roots of his life in the industry and um, seeing what led him to getting to the point where he was when he was traveling around and making a show. That's cool because I know travel is important to you and it's one of your passions and we're going to talk further about that. Something else I'd like to ask you is what's a spiritual experience you've had that stands out to you? Okay, so speaking on the in the realm of travel, so we were, Haley and I were raised Catholic just for reference. And um, for me, I grew up where I um, went to communion. I went to CCD or did my communion, but I would say I was probably a lapsed Catholic. I, um, I don't practice uh, constantly, but still believe in a lot of the, you know, morals and things that we learned from it. So I went to Brazil in 2014. I was going for the World Cup with a couple of my buddies. Very excited. Um, At the point, I had never been really out of the country other than to Canada, which I guess kind of counts, but kind of doesn't. So I was excited to go. And Brazil was kind of a place where I had knew really nothing about it. It was a total adventure. And, you know, leading up to it, there was something in the media about how dangerous it was. And my mom, who's kind of a worrywart, was very much uh, telling me about all of these negative reports. And, you know, I'm kind of a neurotic person by nature. So, you know, I was listening to them, but I wasn't really trying to give any preconceived notions of where I was going to go. So we got on our first flight to go. We were connecting to Detroit. And I started to have what I thought was like a bit of a panic attack. Um, in the center of my chest, I started having this throbbing feeling. I had a shortness of breath, and I was pretty much like freaking out. And it kind of subsided. We ended up getting to Brazil. We got settled. We went out at night in Sao Paulo. It was really fun. Uh, and then when we got back to where we were staying, in the middle of the night, there were loud noises and like explosions going on. And they were, you know, presumably celebrating in the streets. For me, I'm kind of sensitive to super loud sounds. I don't really love them. So that kind of wasn't great for my psyche. And I was just kind of getting freaked out. I think I was overthinking the whole thing of, okay, I'm going to be in this foreign country for over three weeks. Mm -hmm. I don't really know, you know, culturally about a lot of things. I sound so naive, like saying this now 10 years ago. But it really made me nervous. And I literally started freaking out. I got up. I started pacing around the apartment that we were staying in. I was texting my mom, you know, saying, like, I don't know if I should come home. This was granted a day of being there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she was trying to calm me down a little bit. I just had this, like, sinking feeling in my chest. The next morning, uh, it was still there. And honestly, for the next, like, three or four days, there would be, like, fluttering moments when it would kind of 
randomly come and go. And we were in a town, we were in Sao Paulo, and then naturally went to the next place, which was Rio. And when we were in Rio, we did a walking tour. And we happened across one of the biggest Catholic churches in um, Brazil. I think in South America as well. It held like over 5,000 people. So a really cool domed building, kind of in a cone shape. So we went in and um, I sat there and I sat in one of the pews and I kneeled and I just prayed and I and I just prayed for this weird feeling to go away because I really wanted to enjoy myself and have a good time on this trip. I spent a lot of money. I was so excited. I'm a big soccer fan. So I really wanted to really soak up the culture of everything. And I sat there and prayed and, and hoped that it would subside. And, you know, once that happened and we left the church, we were there for another 10 days. And I did not have any feelings of anxiety or anything after that. And had a really calming feeling. And it was such a great trip and a very visceral experience. And mm-hmm. I look back on it super fondly and very fortunate that I was able to um, go and do it. That's so amazing. Yeah, just using that power of faith to feel calm and feel centered. And lately I call God by different names. You know, I still refer to God as God, but also as the universe and as source and, you know, whatever you want to call it. You don't have to come from a specific background or not, but just having that feeling of love and centeredness, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. I think, uh, kind of that old adage of being one with the universe has kind of been a little bit of a corny thing that we've seen in certain, you know, media thing and TV and film that people like to say, but there's something to it, (laughs) right? To be centered and kind of just in symbiosis with everything around you. It's like, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And panic attacks are no joke. Like, you know, when I was in college, when I first moved to San Francisco, it was like a huge adjustment. And that was when I first experienced a panic attack. It's scary. I mean, to be honest with you, and I kind of say this flippantly, um, I would go and visit Haley uh, every Halloween when she was going to school there. And the first two years, I think, uh, we stay, you stayed in kind of like a hostel-style apartment, that kind of building yeah. you can expand mm-hmm. upon it. But it was communal bathrooms. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I remember going to take a shower, and they had like a little shower caddy in there that you could hang and uh, it was already kind of gross. And I remember accidentally uh, knocking with my hand and had three pieces of used chewed gum oh, fill God. in my hair. So it was kind of a panic attack <laughs> for me as well. <laughs> in the, you um, get it, yeah. Uh, in the, uh, the mushrooms underneath your uh, trash can, your room too. I remember that. That place was a trip. It was. <laughs> Shout out to Golden Gate Hall. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we came here today um, to talk specifically about something that we both listened to, a podcast episode with this spiritual, let's see, she's a medical intuitive, and her name is Carolyn Mace. And we both really liked this episode that she did on Gaia's podcast called The Power of Your Words. And yeah, I'd actually shown you a different episode on Gaia that you found this one and you told me that you really liked it. So I wanted to ask you, yeah, what, what resonated about this episode with you? I just, I kind of liked, I liked the tone and tenor of it and how she was speaking because a lot of these, a lot of times, a lot of these types of programs can be a little bit, for me at least, over my head. Sure. But for her, she spoke in a way that it was clear for me to understand. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of related back to a lot of it with the core of who you are as a person and kind of how you operate on an everyday basis and how you relate to one another. And I think that's really important because the way you treat yourself 
really should reflect the way that you treat other people. And there's always the adage of like wanting to treat people how you, you know, with respect and everything and respecting yourself at the same time is important. I feel like Guy really um, emphasized that. And mm-hmm. that's something that we sometimes I think take for granted that we don't always focus on ourselves and we're so busy with other things, but our internal being is really something that we have to really cherish and work at to keep, you know, keep finally tuned and everything. Absolutely. I like her way of speaking too. You know, like we were saying earlier, she's from Chicago mm-hmm. and you've got some Chicago roots and that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> she's very direct. If you've never heard Carolyn Mace, she's this little lady and she speaks really directly. And I love the way she speaks too. Yeah. Cause she, sometimes you just, you can hear the same message, but until you hear it from a voice that resonates with you, you know, sometimes that message doesn't sink in until you hear it from the right vessel, mm-hmm. you know, and a big thing that she does talk about a lot is, as we are saying, the power of your words and something specifically she said, she said, the power of your words is that you listen to what someone will say to you, how you're going to phrase something, the tone of the words they use, and that everything is done according to words. Just really letting that sink in that everything you say has power. There's a gravitas to it. You know what I mean? There's a weight behind it. There's a weight. Yeah. So just being mindful of that because that's goes to how, like you were saying about how you speak about yourself, you know, because sometimes you could just be like, oh, how could I do that? Or like, this is too hard for me. Or, you know, you put these phrases out there, but they really have meaning. You should really try to kind of think of yourself in a positive light and others in a positive light. Yeah. No, it's very circular too, because not only do the weight of the words you say to someone have an impact on them, but also on on yourself as well, because then you can look back and maybe said something unsavory to someone that makes you feel a certain way. Or maybe you said something that you didn't even intend to come off a certain way and that person is dealing with it and you would have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of, again, kind of revolves back to the, the world communicating, you know, with one another to try to come to some type of... Uh, common ground, especially if some, maybe like an issue pops up or something, but yeah, being, I guess, like acutely aware of what you're saying and how that comes off is like really important. Yeah, it's so true. And Carolyn Mace is also a healer. She is, like I mentioned, a medical intuitive. I think I don't, I'm still learning about her work, but from what I gather, she can sense energy and she can look at a person and be like, oh, you've got a blockage in your kidney or you've, I don't know. A it's, purple aura. Something, like yeah. Like famous. I, <laughs> your aura, it's purple. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I maybe she sees words. <laughs> but um I think it's really interesting that she's also a healer in addition to being like a speaker and an author. And one of the things that she has said in this episode we listened to is that a healing vocabulary is actually a requirement for healing. And um I was just thinking as we were talking, you no, know, I guess the biggest kind of healing journey I've had to go through was with my voice. You know, I had a surgery on my vocal folds and it was scary, you know, being a singer because then you wonder, like, am I going to recover from this? Am I going to get better? Am I going to be able to sing again? And what's my identity if I can't sing, you know? And um, I went in for a checkup a few months after my surgery and the doctor, I wasn't as far along as he would have thought I would have been in terms of my healing progress, you know, so that's scary. And finally you know, after like seven months, my voice started to come back. And a lot of it was because I started to just relax and let go because it's like, I can't control this. You know, I have to just um, 
focus on something else. And so I focused on learning to songwrite and playing my keyboard and, you know, just, and just trying to, yeah, like I said, just relax and tell myself it's going to be okay instead of worrying about, is it going to come back? You know, it's totally a microcosm of a life, right? Mm -hmm. Control what you can control. And that's so applicable to every, everything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, things that we happen in life, uh, if you're an athlete, you know, you can control your effort and your energy. You mm-hmm. might not be able to control the outcome of if you're going to hit a shot or score a goal, but you can control certain elements of it. And you can't stress about things that aren't out of your hands. And yeah. to your point, it's like you can take that energy and pivot it and put it elsewhere and maybe improve on a craft or, you know, welcome in positivity rather than having the uh, kind of negative, you know, energy kind of hanging over your head. Absolutely. Something else that, she said that we were both kind of thinking about was she said the thoughts we dwell in can be deal breakers. And yeah, you were going to expand on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, being a, being a writer, I'm naturally neurotic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think to a detriment, you know, sometimes that, or rather sometimes that can be to a detriment, you know, there, me, I'm a classic overthinker. So you know, I think we all have experienced that in certain forms. I know with me, sometimes it's with dating where you're trying to read someone or you could be in a relationship mm-hmm. with someone for, you know, I was with my ex-girlfriend for a year and I was still trying to like, trying to understand certain things about her. Yeah, it's a, it's a, an important, but the thing is, I think that I've tried to really instill in myself is not letting that be a crippling factor where certain opportunities might be able to be there underneath the surface, but I don't necessarily attack them because I'm worried about what could happen rather than just absorbing it and letting it wash over me and seeing what will happen. Mm-hmm. Being present. Yeah, exactly. So like one of the things, you know, relating, I guess, back to travel again was uh, I got laid off of my job. This was eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, not knowing what I was going to do with my life at the time. I was 26 mm-hmm. or 25. And uh, I was kind of in this ambiguous period. And I was like, okay, I have to grind. I have to you know, shake the trees loose and try to, you know, proverbial trees loose and try to find, you know, people to try to hook me up with a job or try to find any type of opportunities and figure out my next move. And I had one of my best friends from college. He was studying for the bar. He wanted to be a lawyer. This was in March and he was going to take the test in July. So for most people, you know, in that four month span, you probably would buckle down and really study hard for the law or for the, for the, (laughs) uh, the test. And my buddy kind of flew by the seat of his pants and he just wanted to uh, travel around the world. So knowing that I just lost my job, I did the sensible thing mm-hmm. and uh, spent a lot of money and basically went with him on a backtracking <laughs> backpacking cool. trip around Europe. Um, I'd never been to Europe before. And this was my first big trip since going to Brazil. And I was already a little uneasy because of, you know, what had happened before. And I think in years past, I would just wasn't wouldn't even think about going on something like this because I'd be like, you know, I need to be practical. I need to. I'm worrying about money. I'm worrying about this and that. I'm just going to stay at home. But I kind of took a leap of faith and just went. And it was a big leap of faith because for me, I kind of I like to be regimented in some ways. I like to have you know things set up where I'm going to stay. You know, not be fully scheduled out, but have some loose you know framework. My friend was the exact opposite. I kind of went with him. We went to cities and had no plan on where we were staying. We would fly. We would take trains. Uh, we took a boat. <laughs> and, like, literally planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> that was kind of what it was. Uh, and we did 16 countries in six weeks. Wow. And, you know, there were some highs to the trip, obviously. There were some things that weren't as great. But 
I look back on that and it was the most enriching experience of my life. And I really learned a lot about myself in terms of being an adult and growing up and navigating train systems and, and, you know, the Metro and languages I don't understand and Mm. having to communicate with people that don't speak my language and flying to different countries by myself and traveling and all of these things. And I really realized that I could do a lot more than I was giving myself credit for. Mm. And I didn't let the nervousness and kind of the neuroses really um, stand in my way in that trip. And that really led to a lot of self-growth and gave me a lot more confidence. So it's kind of just like an example, I think, of how you can't let that get in the way. You just kind of have to sometimes just go for it and not overthink things. That's so beautiful. That's so true because you didn't let those thoughts be your deal breakers. You know, you pushed through it so that you could have this journey of growth and all these fun experiences. And Yeah. I love that. I think with you too as well, right? You could have chosen to stay home for school and you decided to take kind of a leap of faith and, and go up to a whole new city and a whole new life. And it was totally different than, I mean, we grew up in the suburbs, mm-hmm. in a very idyllic, you know, they called it the bubble. And then you, you know, did a 180 and went to school in a big city with a lot of interesting people, a lot of atypical things that we didn't grow up with seeing, you know. I think that transition could have been easier if the school was um, more of an integrated, you know, experience. There was living in the hostel. There wasn't a food plan or anything like that. So you had to kind of learn how to grocery shop, which at 18, I wasn't very good at. Do you, do you want to tell uh, them what type of school you, you went to? Um, yeah, yeah. I went to a music school, um, the San Francisco Conservatory, and... Wonderful experience, but I was telling Jay earlier before we started recording, um, yeah, we talked about how I actually applied to transfer out of there after my freshman year because it was such a hard transition for me. Um, And so I applied actually to a school, to USC back in LA, and almost transferred. I would have had to do an additional year of college. And I was also, um, I don't know, I loved my voice teacher. I was like, I just need to kind of give it more time. And then my sophomore year, I ended up meeting one of my best friends. And I actually fell in love with San Francisco. And I really ended up enjoying my time there overall. So sometimes you just need to push through stuff too. Just give it a little more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think kind of a moral of that story, I think Haley would agree with me. If you challenge yourself, you'd be kind of surprised at what happens. And you're obviously going to be facing adversity in any type of uh, situation like that. Because that's a big move and a big thing to do. But... You know, you came out on the other side and you really, I think, knowing Haley for as long as I have, she really did show a lot of, you know, personal growth from when she started to, uh, you know, when she came back. Thank you. <laughs> I always loved when you visited me. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Halloween, Halloween San Francisco is, uh, <laughs> is, is a different animal. Yeah. Yeah. The costumes, the bicycles. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the first time I ever went up there, flew by myself anywhere was when I was 18, uh, to visit Haley our first uh, quarter fall semester. And uh, yeah, flew from, I don't know if people are familiar with LA, but flew from Burbank up to San Francisco. And she had written me out a bunch of instructions on how to use public transportation because I was, again, like a naive kid from the suburbs who had never used public transportation. I had to have those instructions written out for me too, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. so I took BART, which is Bay Area Rapid Transit. And I remember taking BART um, and getting off the plane and trying to figure out where to go and not realizing that everyone on the uh, platform was dressed in a Halloween costume. So I'm pretty sure I asked, like, uh, 
the Easter Bunny were for directions on my uh, my stuff and <laughs> sat next you. to a bunch of characters on the on the <laughs> on the ride. And it was it was an experience. Yeah. Um, going back to our podcast with Carolyn Mace, something else she said was people continually choose words that aren't problem solving words, such as "I don't deserve this." Oh, I've always been a good person. How did this happen to me? And I think the key words in that is they're not problem-solving words. You know, it's it's kind of a becoming more from a victim mentality, huh? Yeah, it's kind of the, the connotation has like a negative connotation to it, right? Yeah, so just choosing power words, empowering yeah. words, huh? Yeah, because I, I mean, I think the the universe is beautiful, but it's also unforgiving at the same time. And um, I, I like to think there are a lot of good people out there and there are a tremendous amount of people who are willing to help. But there's also, there is like an innate selfishness with I think a lot of people and most people where they're going to look out for themselves first and foremost, right? So we could have something unfortunate happen to ourselves, but you know, in a lot of instances, no one's going to feel sorry for us. And that's not something that we can let seep into our minds, I think, where, I mean, it's easy to have that happen and obviously... Mental health is is a very precious thing. I know I've dealt with it in the wake of the pandemic. But having that control your life and be kind of the sounding board of your life is also not conducive to really living a full functional life. Where if you everyone has had different levels of trauma. Yes. And um, you know, it's 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 trying and every day is every day is a struggle, right? Everyone's going through something on a daily basis, but it's trying your best to really push over that hump to attack it with positivity and mm-hmm. try to flip the script and change the narrative as opposed to stewing in something negative. Um, Cause there, there are horrible things that happen on a daily basis to people, but you know, I think it's natural for someone to sit with it mm-hmm. and maybe have that be a reason for why they don't want to get out of bed in the morning or I don't want to apply for this job or I don't want to go see my friends or I don't want to do this or that. And I think it's obviously normal to be in your feelings and process them. But if that's becoming a theme that's running your entire life, then then maybe, you know, recalibrating a little bit is probably the move to try to attain more of a positivity, you know, from a mindset standpoint. Yeah, because you're right. Everyone has their own journey and their own pace. But I agree with you that taking those baby steps forward just to kind of move yourself towards the positive side of things. And it's hard too. It's hard yeah. to it's hard to maintain that. It's not natural for someone to be, you know, super cheery and positive every single day, sure. obviously. And we're gonna have our off days. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it's being sensitive to understand that from a personal standpoint. That's kind of relating back to, you know, our our initial pod is really um being acutely aware of like how we're feeling at the time and kind of assessing ourselves and where we can you know, pivot next to try to um, improve ourselves and, and better ourselves from an emotional standpoint, a mental standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, everything, honestly. Yeah. And Carolyn, something that she also says is that healing requires a positive vocabulary to help you, like you mentioned, reframe even the most frightening circumstances. So whatever that may be, that you're feeling like it's just overwhelming and it's, but if you if you have, if you're on a thought loop where you're just kind of circling over and over these worst case scenarios, it doesn't help you, even if it's a difficult thing that you're scared of. But just doing your best to kind of look at it from a different angle. And let me ask you: If you're feeling overwhelmed with something, what do you do 
as a way to try to recenter yourself or to kind of calm yourself or your nerves or your anxiety? What are, what are some tips or, you know, tricks that you do? Honestly, deep breathing does help. Just kind of taking a moment to pause. I think also t- taking a moment before you react to things, you know, that's there's that little space in between that we've talked about before. What do you do? You know, it depends on the situation. If I'm in a social situation where I'm maybe uncomfortable, um, I have a habit of kind of shutting down sometimes mm-hmm. and becoming a little more withdrawn. And there are times where I want to kind of escape the space. So I'll go outside or if there's like a patio or some type of balcony, I'll kind of stand out there and kind of collect my thoughts. If I'm somewhere where I can get away, honestly, what I love doing is getting in the car. To your point, I like breathing and trying to decompress that way and then listen to music. I think mm-hmm. listening to music is something that's kind of a release for me. Yeah. And it's not necessarily one genre of music and kind of be like, a you know, if it's cheery 80s music like ABBA or, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have some R&B with Kendrick or, you know, random Brazilian uh, pop music that I like. I kind of like have a variety of music I kind of go to. But yeah. um, listening to music, I think, is definitely kind of a stress reliever for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to kind of lift your mood and take you to a different mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. Something that she also talked about was when people hold on to resentment and then they use that almost as a way for, like, to be successful so that they could kind of come back around and sort of show someone, you said this to me and that that hurt me, but I can still be successful I don't know, that's kind of an interesting concept. And specifically, she was using that with the words humble and humiliating. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like resentment as a whole is kind of a fickle entity. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we've all experienced with relation to our parents, our siblings, our friends, with relationships. I think it's kind of universal. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's kind of corrosive to the soul at the same time because you're kind of constantly piling on this little mountain in your head where you have these kind of quips that you could throw at someone at any moment's notice that you're upset at them about, right? Mm -hmm. Where you don't really want to approach the topic, but you still have this kind of ammo in the back of your mind, or you're maybe not verbalizing it, but you're thinking it, and that could kind of taint your viewpoint of someone and kind of, you know, chip away at the clarity of how you you view someone. Mm -hmm. Um, to your point about it being like a kind of like a chip on your shoulder, we're using it as a motivating factor. I think to a level, that's okay. And I think maybe in a way, it's kind of a healthy way of kind of working through it. But that, again, you don't want to have it be an overriding factor. Mm-hmm. I think you want to have kind of a balance with it, right? Where you can use that as a motivation, but then ultimately, I think recognizing that you're working towards something for you. You're not working towards something for the satisfaction of someone else or being like, haha, I told you so. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a chance that it could be your parent, it could be your friend from when you were 10 years old. Something very benign can be said to you that they probably have never thought of since that moment, yeah, right? I don't even remember saying it. But then you, it's stewing in your mind. It's been stewing in your mind for years and years and years. And maybe you attain a goal that you've been working towards. And you go back to that person and say, see, this is this is what happened because of what you said. And they could be like completely oblivious to it and, and not even really care. And then it's like, well, okay, so... You work so hard to try to, like, go back at this person? Did you work it for, you know, the real intent, which is for yourself? I think that's where sometimes it kind of gets blurred. Yeah. So keeping in mind that you're really 
investing in yourself or something like that. And I think is like the goal that most people, you know, we want to try to go for, but resentment is, uh, it's tough. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it too with, with different people in your life. It's, um, if it's not really addressed, it can kind of, kind of fester. It's something that can be really, um, detrimental. Yeah, it's very true. Relating to that, like, you know, going back to that use of the word, how she used the word humble, she defined it as something as like being centered, like you said, not relying on outside validation for our worth. So just being humble in the sense of like, you don't need the outside world to validate. And we were talking off off the record earlier that my parents they're so loving and they were very, very supportive of my musical journey. They really are. Um, but I think they don't quite understand like the pop music stuff that I do because, you know, I studied classical music and I seemed like I was on this path towards doing a different kind of music career. And then after college, I kind of 180 and started learning songwriting and pop music. And so sometimes, you know, I'll show them like, oh, look, this blog wrote about our music. And it's not that I don't think that they care I mean, I think I think they do care, but I think I'm trying to make them understand it, kind of. And I told Joe, you know, my husband, I told him, like, I need to stop doing that. And I, and I have stopped doing it recently because I'm just like, I don't need to get a validation from my parents as an adult. You know what I mean? It's very natural, though, because I have the same feelings. You, you want to you wanna make them proud, right? You, yeah. That's like I think that's a natural thing from when we were little. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's, I think we kind of grew up similar in that fact where we really wanted to please our parents and show them that we're, that we have that, you know, worthy, worthy nature. Even today, like if I say something that I feel like I'm proud of that I've done, I'm, I'm in my <laughs> early thirties and I'll say something that I'm proud of to my mom. And if she doesn't give me the reaction that I'm looking for, it kind of leaves me disappointed. So it's me, like you're saying, taking a step back and it's like, well, should I really be disappointed at that? Or maybe talk about that to myself right be like you know what like I'm patting myself on the back for for doing that I should just like be happy with that instead of trying to extend that out to someone else and really basing my mood and you know feeling on what other someone else thinks it's like taking accountability for your own feelings and yeah bringing those that feeling that you're looking for to yourself it's it's really loving yourself right ultimately when it comes down to it and that's that really extends to so many different you know facets of life but yeah. I think it's something that we, we all kind of get lost, that gets kind of lost. I think when the hustle and bustle of life that sometimes we don't prioritize that as much as we should. Very, very true. And moving on to something else that she mentioned was the word deserve, which was a really interesting way of how she put it. You know, she said, we don't deserve anything, essentially. When you hear that, you're kind of like, what? You know, but mm-hmm. do you want to explain like kind of what she meant by that? I think, I think again, it's, it's all of a mindset thing, right? So... Let's say you've gone to the gym for five straight days and you're really proud you've been eating clean. And then you say, okay, I think I deserve to go, you know, pig out at McDonald's or whatever and have like a crazy meal. And maybe that becomes more frequent than it's like, okay, I went to the gym for three days this week. Now I'm going to go do this. Or, oh, I went for one day. So, you know, I deserve to do this. And it doesn't necessarily have to result to relate to food. Mm-hmm. It could be it could be different things where it's like oh I um I had a really productive work week so I deserve to go to the bar and get smashed and I think a lot of people kind of equate that and I'm not a, I'm not trying to be self righteous in any yeah. form or fashion at all sure. you know because we've all we've all been there and yeah. had our moments where it's like you know what like I want to have a cocktail or I want to do this or that sure and I think it's healthy to do that but in moderation with everything right so 
um, the word deserve can be kind of a dangerous buzzword, I guess, depending on how it's utilized, right? Yeah, it's a slippery slope because you don't want to have this statement of I deserve to take you away from your ultimate goals. You know what I mean? Right. Like you said, you could be like, oh, well, you know, I'll just pick, I'll pick out just this once or I'll just have drinks just this once, but it could be a habit, you know, that takes you away from your, your end game. Mm-hmm. And so. we can extrapolate that even further. Let's say you, you, you had something negative happen in your life or maybe you're dating, you know, we've all been there, what we've dated, you know, <laughs> dating's been tough, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age. And you could say to yourself, well, I deserve, I deserve someone that's, you know, X, Y, or Z, or, you know, you've had some type of trials in your life and, you know, I deserve that high paying job. Well, you could be a good person. Obviously, you know, you could be very worthy of those things, but also at the same time, by saying it and not doing anything about it, that's not necessarily going to manifest itself into it, right? It's like putting in the work and going towards something where it's like, I deserve to have a screenplay, you know, bought by a company where, well, you could be very talented, but if you're not actively working in your craft, then maybe that's not going to be a reality, right? Yeah. And uh, doing self-reflection with dating as well. It's like, if you're dating someone and the last two breakups you've had, there's been a pattern with the person you're dating. Well, maybe it's not the person you're dating. Maybe it's, you got to look at yourself a little bit and, and think like, okay, maybe I'm doing something I need to correct or work on or self-improvement, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I can, the deserving, like you're saying, it is a very slippery, slippery slope with that word. Yeah, I agree with that. And Carolyn had mentioned that she really admires this nun and, and the nun said that we are not entitled to anything and that all the wonderful things we have in our life, we should look look at them as blessings, um, which blessings is definitely a beautiful word. And I don't think we're entitled to anything either. But what we were saying earlier about like the manifestation, it did make me wonder like, okay, if you are working really hard at something like you're putting in the effort to write the screenplay or write the song or, you know, and I still don't think that means you're like entitled to whatever. Right, that's a good distinction to make. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but you would think if you're following the laws of like manifestation that if you're putting your energy towards something that eventually you would get that outcome. But maybe, like you said, it's just, it's a blessing if it comes, but not an entitlement. Right. I I think so too. I don't think it should be expected, but if it does come, there should be a level of appreciation and tying it back to kind of humility and, and humble nature with it, because especially if it's something, a very grandiose idea or, or something that you're trying to attain mm-hmm. and you ultimately do do it, you should be proud of yourself, obviously, for the hard work that you've put into it. But also recognize the fact that there are probably millions and millions of other people also wanting the same dream and they might not have been able to fulfill it for whatever reason. So, you know, staying grounded and having that humble nature, I think, is is very important. I mean, for me, just speaking for me personally, like I, I'm a, I'm a sports writer and I've been fortunate to have my writing featured on ESPN and, and Fox Sports and currently Sports Illustrated and MSN and, and, and a, a numerous, you know, publications. I'm not where I want to be financially and I'm still working towards, you know, achieving goals that I have for myself and what I want for my life. But at the same time, I'm I'm really thankful that I've had these opportunities and been able to have written for these publications because I know it's not it's not a given in life. It's not an easy thing. And I know there are a lot of aspiring 
sports writers that want to do the same thing, and I obviously wish them the best of luck, but it's me actively really having to have that in my mind, in my scope, where it's, you know, this is, this, even though I'm not satisfied with where I am, that, that in and of itself, I have to be thankful for that. That is a blessing. Yeah, beautifully said. I don't know, there's so much... So much kind of she. I know. There's a lot of fat to chew on this episode. Yeah, it's, it, it was really cool. But it's. I think it's the reason that I really related to it is, is I think I, I listened to it and I think knowing Haley for as long as I have, I knew it was something that her and I could have dialogue about. And we kind of even talked about this, you know, weeks ago when we first listened to it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, having the ability to talk about it and kind of flesh it out is really fun. Um, I know. I feel yeah. like we could keep going. There's still more facets, but. What would have caught your eye when you were, you know, listening to the episode? Well, you know, she's said things that we've kind of covered, being centered, reflecting, like we mentioned. Having courage is a big one. You know, just the courage to be conscious of your words and to take accountability and to pursue your goals. And Do you think that extends to the profession that you're in with your music? Because... I think a lot of people that, you know, might not necessarily be familiar with musicians or people that work in the industry, and I think this works with writing or any type of artistic medium, it's you're really putting your your soul into something and you're really um, pulling back the, the curtain, so to speak, and being vulnerable for people because this is a very intimate thing that you're showcasing to the world. And uh, for you with your writing, do you feel like it's like that where you're you're you have a sense of courage that you're overcoming because it's a vulnerable nature of writing something that's personal and maybe something that relates to your life and your partner and kind of your journey and you're really sharing it with a bunch of people. Yeah, I, you know, it is a personal experience that you're putting out there, but I think definitely all artists do it, whether it's writing, I know with your screenwriting or if there's an actor even, you know, they're emoting maybe emotions they're feeling through their character and all art is very cathartic, you know? I agree. So, yeah, I'm glad we have that outlet. And I don't know, Joey and I have been talking about just, like, what kind of art do we want to make going forward? Because you want to, when you are putting out a message to the world, um, you want to be conscious of what you're saying and what kind of, like, vibration you're putting out there, too. You know what I mean? That's very true. And I think it's... That's an internal struggle for a lot of people. And I think that's been here since the the dawn of time, right? Where mm-hmm. there's a commercial element to something mm-hmm. where, you know, from a formulaic standpoint, there are certain types of songs that, that could make you potentially a lot of money or types of movies. I mean, it's not a secret that, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards like the Marvel superhero movies, right? Or these these pop songs that are pretty short that aren't very in depth in terms of the meaning behind their lyrics, and those are still triumphs in their own right for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But they're not the deepest. I wouldn't say that the deepest art form is possible, right? Whereas making something that might be atypical to the norm, but is more empowering for you and more special to you, also gives you a certain sense of satisfaction, even if it's not necessarily a big commercial hit. And I think. That's kind of the thing with indie movies, with, you know, musicians that are trying to make it. It's still, those those works of ours still need to be recognized as important because there's a lot of effort and heart and soul putting into those things. I think they should be kind of universally recognized for that. Like I was saying, like, just kind of thinking, like, the content 
because we're all connected, you know, and that's something Carolyn talks about too, is that we're all like interconnected with the words we speak and the kind of energy you put out there into the world. She talks about wholeness and that, you know, a lot of times we want to think we're separate from other people, but it's that Buddhist concept that we're interconnected and everything is part of this kind of web of energy. If you're creating something or speaking something that brings people down, like you're you're not only bringing yourself down, you know, you're bringing down the people around you. Right. So, you know, some of the songs that Joe and I have made have been, I wouldn't say they've been like lower vibrational, but they were more like emotional or maybe more dramatic. And there's a time and a place for that too. But we're just kind of thinking going forward, what what message do we want to be sending out there? You know? The overarching thing is 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 having authenticity. Yeah, that's true. Which I think really does shine and does come through in any type of artistic medium because you can tell when someone's mailing it in, so to speak, as mm-hmm. opposed to someone that's really trying to, for lack of a better term, change the world and, and showcasing themselves to you and introducing themselves to you in a way that's very heartfelt. I think that's just, again, I think that that takes a lot of courage to do that because it, it's easy to bury your nose in a notebook and write all of these cool stories and, you know, make cool music at home. But if you're not willing to share that with someone, then no one, no one's going to be able to really gain insight into maybe who you are as a person or to really appreciate the brilliance that you may have. And that could be a gift to everyone if you're, you know, if you're able to really showcase it. But again, that takes a lot of self-belief and bravery. Yeah, and I'm sure even with like the sports writing too, you're you're just trying to write in, um, I don't know, a succinct, honest way. Like that's true to your voice as a writer, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on, on the assignment because mm-hmm. I think writing professionally in general and the way that I do it for a, I do it for a digital media company where I write about sports and pop culture and a myriad of different things. So depending on the type of article it is, it can be very formulaic in nature. Mm-hmm. And that's something I don't like about the industry is that I'm not able to really exude my own voice and kind of have that. It's, it's very stock, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But when I do get those, pro- those projects where I'm able to really write from a first-person experience and I can really let my creative juices kind of come to the surface, that's when I feel much better and I feel more in tune with what I'm doing. And it's not necessarily feeling like a job, but it's something that I genuinely you know, enjoy doing. So that's kind of the goal is to really make it income where I can live comfortably and then really hit those projects on the side hard where I can really try to one day eventually showcase my my stuff to people. If I can make a living off of it, great. Honestly, my goal and one of my big goals is to have something that I've written um, made into a film. Even if it's a little five minutes short, um, I would love to, you know, 30 years from now, go back and be able to pop in a, I'm not going to say DVD. I don't know what we're going to have in 30 <laughs> years from now. <laughs> something. And uh, be able to watch my art on screen. You know, something that I wrote. And I think that would be the coolest thing in the world. I don't care if I make a dime from it, but it would still be awesome. So that's something that I think we have to, you know, something we always have to achieve or, uh, you know, attain or try to go for some some type of goal in life, you know. As Carolyn says, it's the power of your thoughts and, uh, yep. yeah, just and, putting that out there. Right, and it's like, into that point, too, Haley's, for as long as I've known Haley, it's always about the, the law of attraction in terms of energy. Putting out the positive energy, you're going to be 
in a, in a perfect world receiving that. And again, that is part and parcel for any, any relationship or anything. If you put out that positivity towards your job, you know, towards someone you're dating, towards your friends, your family, I mean, you know, ideally that will come back around and, you know, come towards you. Yeah. There's a law of the universe that says that our thoughts create our reality. You know, that's a really big idea to ponder, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it's true, you know, that you put out a certain energy and you kind of get these situations reflected back at you. And you have to look at yourself and be like, what did I, what did I do to attract that, whether it's good or bad, you know, yeah. what happened here? It's kind of all self-reflection, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's been so wonderful to be talking with you, Jay. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's been where, great. Yeah, it has. Where can people find your work? You can find my work on newarena.com and nostalgicbuzz.com. If you are on MSN and search for a name, uh, I have a pen name, so it would be under Joe Justo. So you can find me there. I am really, really grateful that you were here with us today. And... It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully I'll come back and we can tackle another topic. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Thank you.